This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hey, everyone. It's Anna. In yesterday's new episode, I checked in with musician Jason Isbell about being in recovery during this time of global pandemic and about how it's affecting him and his fellow musicians financially. Today, we wanted to share with you the very first conversation that I ever had with Jason, along with his wife, Amanda Shires, who's also a musician. I talked with them way back in 2014, before this show had even officially launched. And it's a conversation that I often think back on fondly. I hope you enjoy it. I had to go through a series of trials, Herculean <laughs> trials, before she would actually say that we were you know, that I was her boyfriend. So when, like, we were playing the field, it was just like, uh, she just didn't know she could trust me. It's hard to trust somebody who's out carousing every night, you know, even though he left awesome <laughs> voicemails. This is Death, Death Sex, Sex, and Money. My relationship with death remains the same, strongly against it. It's the show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Do you think the sexual revolution has gone too far? And need to talk about more. Now I want my money! I'm Anna Sale. Jason Isbell and Amanda Shires have been married for about a year. He's been sober for two. Jason's a musician. He got his start with the southern rock band Drive-By Truckers after playing in bars as a teenager while he was growing up in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Amanda's a musician, too. She writes and sings, and by the time she was 15, she was already playing with a band called the Texas Playboys. Jason and Amanda both put out solo albums last year, and Jason's album, called Southeastern, hit it really big. A lot of his songs deal with his addiction and getting sober and how their love helped him through it. Now, Jason's gotten a lot of media attention through all this, but I wanted to talk to both him and Amanda about what it's been like to go through it as a couple. Because even when there's change that's really good and exciting in a relationship, it can still take some adjusting. Across the ocean, Jason and Amanda showed up in matching black leather jackets. She wore a low-cut brown lace shirt under hers. For Jason, it was a black button-down. His hair was slicked back, very Johnny Cash. They looked like they fit together. How would you describe this first year of marriage that you've had together? I think we did a great job. We got along for, for 
a large part of it. And, uh, you know, we don't have the same arguments at the end of the first year that we had at the beginning of the first year. And I think that's important. I think for anything to be successful, your problems have to become different problems over time. What did you argue about when you first married that now you're sort of over? Trust. (laughs) Trust. We didn't know each other very well. And I, I was a philanderer in a past life, so it was hard for her to trust me, you know, that I was actually going to stick around and, and wasn't going to uh, make a fool of her. I was I was not an easy person to trust because I hadn't been sober very long, and, you know, I felt like I hadn't been a grown-up very long at that point. But I was determined. Would you put it the same way? I would say, yeah, trust too, because um, he pretended like he was put his trust in me more than he did, I think. You know, all this technology and stuff, it's easy to develop a new relationship if you wanted to with somebody else. But we got over that. Yeah, it was scary for me. I'm probably more than a little bit neurotic about s- certain personal things. And, and one of them is the fact that it is really so easy. I mean, years ago, if somebody called, there was one phone in the house, you know, and there was all these songs about nobody calling and, and hanging up as soon as, you know, the wife asks who it is. And uh, there aren't those songs anymore because you can get in touch with that nobody so quickly and so easily. And that did terrify me. And, you know, also it was something probably that I had uh, superimposed. What's the word for uh, your own concern that you put on somebody? Projecting. Projecting, yeah. I was probably doing that in a way, too, because I had been uh, such a dog for so long. I probably just sort of expected everybody would be that way, but but that's not the case. Ten years ago I might have seen you dancing in a different life. And offered up my help in different ways But those were different days Projecting, Amanda broke in to say. I love that moment because it shows how they work as a couple. Jason talks a lot more than Amanda does, but when she breaks in, it's really telling. You get the sense that she's the one that's drawn a lot of the lines in their relationship. What prompted rehab? He needed help, and he told me one night after we were drinking that, you know, he wanted to quit drinking. I was like, oh, all right. And he was, okay, he wasn't the person that could just stop drinking. You know, I remembered him trying a couple days in a row or a day in a row, trying not to drink after he woke up, you know. But there's physical signs, you know, like shaking and all the things like that. And um, a few nights later, he said the same thing, and he was very upset and was like, I can't do it by myself, and... I was like, well, all right, you don't get to just say this over and over, you know, this is what you're going to do. And so I texted a couple of his friends, and in the night, while I was looking up, you know, the rehab things and numbers, and then I emailed his manager about it to help sort of facilitate going to rehab. The last night before, because I think he knew he was going to go to rehab, he was Wanted to do every drug and drink everything and all the moonshine and all the late night life. It was crazy. It started out like a cool night, you know, and ended up being the worst night ever, 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 ever. At that point, I was not having any more of anything to do with him because I was so mad the next morning. It's got me thinking now, what if I really could be bulletproof? Anything from hacksaws 
Then he was in rehab, and then he was writing me letters because I don't let you talk on the phone. Said nice and sweet things like, wait to see the progress and all this kind of stuff. Drew pictures, and I was swayed to see the progress. But when he went to rehab, you were angry from that last night. Oh, hell yeah. During that period, was it your impression that your relationship was in jeopardy? I knew it was in jeopardy, but I never... uh... You know, I'd been after her for a long time, a long time. I never allowed failure to be an option, really. I'm competitive in in a lot of things, too many things, really. And in that particular area, I just had set in my mind, this is going to work out. Whatever I have to do, whatever I have to say, this is going to work out. So as nervous as I was and as scared as I was that she might not be there when I got out, I still was looking for a way to make it work out and, and, you know, focusing a lot of energy on that. And and some part of me thought it would be all right, but, you know, I I didn't know for sure. Early on, I didn't understand his drinking problem. You know, early on, it's like, I'm good at going out and having a good time partying, you know, getting drunk occasionally or whatever. But after a while, I realized that it was a real problem. And then for my life, you know, I didn't want to invest in somebody that you know, might not be around for very that, long. And I, you know, or how sad it would be to watch somebody with so much talent just throw it all away. Were you sober before you moved in together? Yeah, I got sober right right before that. Because when I went to rehab, yeah. I still had that house in Alabama, yeah, that's that right. apartment in Alabama. Mm-hmm. So right, yeah, because his house was above a bar. And yeah. Then. Um, you know, I wasn't going to move to Alabama. Yeah. And we found a place in Nashville we liked. Did you feel ready to move in together? I mean, was part of you worried that rehab wouldn't take? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something you pay attention to every day for him, you know, something he has to choose to do every day, so keep making good decisions. But yes, then I was a little worried, but also I was prepared to be there for him because he's trying, you know. She's good at taking care of people who need it but don't necessarily deserve it. <laughs> That's not true. Either. It's it's true. It's true. I mean, I, I don't know what people deserve, but I do feel like that you, you have a good knack for strays. I you don't know. know. You, you put up with more than, than you, you should have, I think, before I got sober. Well, um, but I'm glad you did. That's, Clearly. Yeah. I, just, I just couldn't have asked that much from you. Right. It was surprising to me in hindsight that, you know, that the relationship didn't end soon. Was the place you decided to move in together, was it like a, we're going to buy a couch together kind of move in and we're going to join our checking accounts kind of no, move in? Uh-uh. It's just sort of like a, we found a duplex, which we live in now, and um, I put my stuff in there and he put his stuff in there. And uh, 
our stuff got along pretty good. And then, <laughs> like, a few months later, we bought a couch. <laughs> yeah, we did. But we did buy a couch. <laughs> yeah, afterwards. A really wide couch. Because yeah. uh, when we get home, when we're not working, it's it's uh, our favorite thing to watch movies on the couch. We couldn't both fit on the couch that we had before, so we had to get a, a bigger couch. I still believe in having our own monies. Our own cars, like our own money. Mm-hmm. So like even that. after marriage, your your finances are, are separate. Yeah. Yeah. We have the same account, but our finances are separate. She mm-hmm. has her own credit cards. I have mine, things like mm-hmm. that. My impression is that the last year, in the last year, you're probably earning a lot more money than you were before. He is. I'm not, you know. My record didn't do as well as his. <laughs> That's just the truth of it. Um, but I am glad that he's doing a lot better. You're not doing bad. I mean, you you no, know, I'm about, made a good sure. amount of money. Yeah, I make um, a fair amount. I'm, but I just I'm happy a, with my... <laughs> I had a windfall, you know. <laughs> I owned the record, and, and it did pretty well, and didn't go through a major label, you know, just went through a distribution company. and So, yeah, I got, I got lucky with that. Got real fortunate with it. I don't think it's changed a whole lot for us. We're looking for a house. We're looking mm-hmm. at houses after we leave here. So we're talking in a studio in Nashville, and they're in the middle of this classic country music rite of passage when the hit leads to a new house. But for Jason and Amanda, the must-haves are not very rock and roll. I would like to live in a place that doesn't have any carpet. (laughs) That's what I want. I got allergies. I don't want any carpet. I like it to have, uh, you know, door that locks. No. She needs a bigger bathroom. I need a bigger bathroom. The place we're in right now, we have, a, you know, we each have our own bathroom, but they're both kind of like hotel-sized bathrooms, you know, like Holiday Inn Express-sized bathrooms. And, Mine's uh, smaller than that. Probably so, Mine's yeah. the size of a closet, which is fine. You've got like a Ramada bathroom. <laughs> but- <laughs> Minus the handcuffs that somebody left in there. Um yeah, you need a bigger bathroom. Yeah, you else, need a bigger bathroom. And there has to be trees because I like to watch the birds. She's a birder. So a yard? No, it doesn't have to have a yard. It has to have a tree. I need enough room to eventually throw a baseball with a child. That's all the yard I need. That's all I want. Mm-hmm. How do you talk about kids when you're touring musicians? <laughs> you f- we'll figure out a way. I mean, how mm-hmm. many people in history have had children and it's turned out all right? You know. <laughs> If that many idiots can have a kid and not screw it up too bad, I think we can pull it off no matter what our schedule looks like. Mm-hmm. For me, with kids, it's a it's a lot of different thoughts that go into it, you know, because generally when a woman has a child, the child is always left to the woman, you know, or to the lady or whatever. The guy can go off and go tour and whatever, go gallivanting around the world. I'm Why, kidding. She's from Texas. Yeah. She's from Texas. <laughs> yeah. And, um, <laughs> no, but, you know, I understand there's sacrifice and everything, but I'm still a selfish person. You know, I still want my own career and I want my own freedom and time. And I want the, I feel like if I do have a child, it'll be something I'm very involved in. I know I will be. But um, I think it should be like a co-parenting or a shared parenting thing. And I'm not sure what that exactly means, but... We'll have to figure it out we today, so we'll worry about it later. Yeah. We can't share the first right. part. That's yeah. the, I mean, yeah, I'll be there until the baby's, or I'm gone from the earth. I'll take mm-hmm. care of it. You know, I'm not going to screw up on that responsibility. But at the same time, that motherly instinct, when it's kind of combating the, the desire to be your own individual person for a woman, I can't even weigh in on that. That's just, that's just incredibly difficult for me to even wrap my head around. 
So the timeline and logistics of kids, that's something for the future for Jason and Amanda. For now, these two traveling musicians are figuring out how to deal with a long-distance marriage. I don't think you had any reservations about saying, this is what I need from somebody. Yeah. You know, that's always been for you. And this is what I don't need. The temptations of the road and the challenges of communicating, that's all coming up. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. I'm talking to musicians Jason Isbell and Amanda Shires about their marriage. Their wedding was in February of last year. I just wanted to have a party that all our friends could come to that said, hey, look, we're a thing, you know, we're permanent. I like the commitment part of it, you know, it being like a, somehow has something attached to the word that means something bigger than what, it's the same as before, but the words change. Amanda, I want to ask you about how you've navigated being Jason's wife. You have an album out, as you said, that came out last summer. Mm-hmm. W- one thing I noticed, it's interesting that you, on Twitter, you're mm-hmm. Amanda Isbell. Mm-hmm. And on your record, you're Amanda Shires. Mm-hmm. How do you think about your wife identity and your professional identity? That's something I'm still thinking on, you know. On Twitter, I've changed my name to Amanda Isbell because I was still getting some unwanted messages and things and I thought that would help you know for people that still didn't get it and then um he put a ring on it yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and then you know Amanda Shires is has always been my name so I don't know might be Amanda Shires Isabel but being married to somebody doesn't change your art I mean you know it could change the topics but it doesn't change what you what you're in the world to do have there been moments where you felt competitive Nope, I'm not competitive at all. Like, I'm not competitive. Because he doesn't have a vagina. Because, I mean, my problems and my thoughts are all all from a woman's perspective. You can't compete with that. (laughs) Or without that. So I guess that's part of why I've not felt competitive. Because I know, I understand the different places we are in and the different, you know. He's a white dude. Yeah, you do different things. Yeah. Coming from a different angle, yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to look like a bird Says her wings and split the sky I want to look like a bird Like I know what it is to fly As your professional lives have changed over the last year, I just imagine that there's a lot of pressure when you are together because mm-hmm. you know you're going to part again. How do you sort of balance talking about checking in and like, oh, my gosh, this is happening and this felt this way and this felt mm-hmm. this way with just going <laughs> on a date? I'm bad at it. I'm bad at it. I, I have modes, you know, mental modes that I get in. And uh, when I'm on the road, I focus very much on doing the work, on playing the show, on being good every night. And part of me just gets switched off. You know, the part that's very 
private and very personal and very uh, intimate. That especially, that part of me gets shut off. So I've been trying really hard uh, in the last few months to call that part back up when we're checking in with each other, when we're on the phone to actually, because she feels like she's talking to a robot sometimes. And I understand that, you know, I say, well, I did this, I did that, I did this, now I got to go sound check. That's not enough for somebody who's who's missing you, you know. And it's not that I don't miss her just as much. I just have a uh, a set of, of of techniques that I use to keep myself from going out and drinking again or to keep myself from getting exhausted on the road or or whatever and, and I need to learn how to navigate those things and still you know still be personal. I think that's not just a touring musician. I think a lot of boyfriends and husbands and partners have that yeah. <laughs> when, so, when they're checking in with their partners. It's um a lot like a I don't know, it's more like a list conversation rather than a Conversation, conversation. A lot of the world turns into checklists for me when I'm on the road. Like, okay, this person's alive, this person's fed, this person's good. Mm -hmm. You know, sound check is done. Mm -hmm. Everything becomes a checklist except for the actual show. And Amanda, tell me about the year. You said something that's happened over the last year is you've built trust. Mm -hmm. How do you build trust when when your husband is a touring musician? Because you know what comes with that in a lot of cases. Yeah. Oh, I do. I've seen it myself and other people and everything but I think in in my mind you know I sometimes just ask them or say you know have you been talking to any women because you're on your goddamn phone a lot today and um then some days I'm like whatever he does I have no control over his actions and whatever he does or does not do it's not a reflection on me you know it's the choices he makes hopefully we're in a place where we communicate well enough to know when we're having problems or not. That way somebody doesn't go, you know, looking for something that we're not getting from somebody else because that's usually yeah, what it is. Yeah, that's, you know? that's a trick, communicating like that, saying can, it. Yeah, you can't steal somebody from somebody. They go. It's their choice. Everybody makes a choice. You know when you cross the line. I don't know. I I just trust them. We don't ignore it. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that there are other people mm-hmm. vying for our attention and that, that, you know, when you're on the road, mm-hmm. it makes it easier to, to think you can get away with stuff like that. We discuss it, you yeah. know. If somebody's worried, we mm-hmm. talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, usually if you name something, it becomes a lot less uh, difficult to defeat. Right. And so when you get asked, Jason, have you been talking to women, do you feel defensive or do you feel like, oh, we need we probably are due for a visit? Usually, mm-hmm. no, I don't feel defensive because it's regular. It's a regular <laughs> thing. I mean, it's almost every day that we say that. Have you been talking to anybody? Have you got any new boyfriends? You know? and, yeah. uh, it's, it's, you got any new boyfriends? Yeah. Anybody interesting you? Yeah. And you can say, yeah, yeah, I've been talking to this person about whatever. But, you know, you shouldn't, shouldn't, you, you should be able to have friends, you know, but. that you, Yeah, that's another thing, mm-hmm. too, because it's, it's, it's. You know, it's hard for me to not be possessive, and I don't want to be possessive, you know. Mm-hmm. The family I come from, kind of old school about things, you know. I don't want it to be uneven. I don't want to be, you know, the man from Alabama who's in charge of his wife, you know, from Texas. I, I don't want it to be that way. I want it to be not possessive at all, you know. I, I think if you really trust somebody, they should be able to have whatever friends they want to have. But I think I think the trick is just 
you know, talk about it. If something happens, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen. You yeah. know, you can choose to trust somebody or not. If you think you found somebody trustworthy, there's a better chance that you're not going to get stomped on. But at the end of the day, you have to understand that, yes, yeah, somewhere down the line, you might get your heart broken. You know, mm-hmm. if you're grown up, it won't kill you. Um, Sometimes it helps me to say, say it right out or say it in my brains or I'll feel so bad for you if you fuck this up. She does say that. I say that a lot. I feel so she bad for you if you fuck this so up. Bad for I'll say you. it like three times to myself. Yeah. You know, kind of like a helps a lot. Yeah, that says a lot about her right there because I believe it. I know it's a taunt, but I believe she would indeed. If she had to kick me out, she would feel bad for me. <laughs> she would feel pity, which is probably <laughs> not a good thing. It's to, not what you, you want, you know. No. It's not what you want, but she would. She would She would really feel bad for me, not for having to kick me out, just for my general situation. <laughs> Put your faith to the test When I tore off your dress In Richmond on I sobered up And I swore off that stuff Forever this time Do you have a a daily practice of being sober? Is there like a ritual for you? No, not really. I have certain things that I do when I want to drink. You know, usually the first thing I do is tell her I want to drink right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to have one, so I'm not telling you this so you'll be mm-hmm. on guard. I'm telling you this because I need to say it out loud. There and when you do that, it ends up being, we talk about why that is. And for me, I, I like to know what and when and why. And I'm just glad to be a part of it. I'm proud of you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Have you talked about that, that not only the story of your sobriety, but your love story has become so much a part of your public personas? I mean, it's in your music, how much you love each other, (laughs) and the story of, you know, your redemption through that love. Is that scary for that to be so much part of what your public profile is? I mean, does it is it scary for your relationship? It's supposed to be. Things that are that personal, you're supposed to write things that scare you. I mean, it's it's scary to me that that keeping a relationship together these days is as difficult as it is. There's so many avenues and so many ways out. But the last thing I'm going to worry about if she and I ever split up is being fucking embarrassed <laughs> at what the fans are going to think. <laughs> Who cares, you know? <laughs> if I have another drink and, uh, you know, and, and then, then I have a hundred more, the last thing I'm going to worry about is is... Oh, my God, what are they going to think? I told them all I was so... I don't care about that, you know? I'm going to have a lot of picking myself up to do if either of those things happen that's not going to involve other people's opinion. Yeah, I... um. Well, I like to be cheesy a little bit. I um, I just hope that uh, love could be a little bit more contagious, that more, you know... There you go. It's nice to be able to relate to people that you know experience um similar problems and yeah i'm totally with that I, you know if it helps anybody there might be some dude that thinks he's unlovable somewhere that's drunk and you know <laughs> laying in his own piss and thinking yeah. that pretty girl that lives next door will never have anything to do with me and that's not always true you know 
yeah, if it causes people to come to us or even to just think in the back of their mind, you know, that, that there's some kind of connection, then it's worth telling your secrets. Amen. And I've grown tired of traveling alone. Tired of traveling alone. I've grown tired of traveling alone. Won't you ride with me? I've grown tired of traveling alone. Tired of traveling alone. I've grown tired of traveling alone. Won't you ride? That's Jason Isbell and Amanda Shires from a conversation recorded back in 2014. They've both been on our show since then. We've got a roundup of all of their death, sex, and money appearances in the show notes. Also there, there's a link to a Spotify playlist of songs that Jason told us he's been listening to while their family self-quarantines at their home outside of Nashville. It's a great roundup of new and old songs. I've definitely been enjoying listening to it. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based at the studios of the investigative podcast Reveal in Emeryville, California. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, Afi Yellowduke, Emily Botin, and Andrew Dunn. Special thanks to James Ramsey, Chris Bannon, Bill O'Neill, and Jim Briggs for their help on this episode. Our intern is Ayo Osubamiro. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. And thanks to Jayla Fincher in Parker, Colorado, who is a sustaining member of Death, Sex, and Money. Join Jayla and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we hope you'll sign up for our newsletter. We're sending it out a few times a week right now. And tomorrow we'll be sending out our second homework assignment. Something for you to do and report back over the weekend. Check it out by subscribing at deathsexmoney.org slash newsletter. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back again next week with more. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Thank you.